I think what a lot of people fall into the trap of doing is they get extremely, extremely busy. They focus their time on the job in hand, which is what you should do, absolutely. Yeah. But then people forget to realise that once that business is done, then where's the business after that coming from? Yeah, yeah. So people tend to have like feast and famine up and down. Yeah. What I consistently try to do is follow up every lead that, um, on a regular basis every day. Welcome to the Get Real About Business podcast, where we uncover the real deal about automation, getting leads, retargeting and sales funnels, you know, the stuff that'll actually make you money and doesn't empty your wallet. Get valuable, actionable information from me and other experts in the online marketing space, which will boost your business beyond its current boundaries. Prepare for some hot tips today. I'll be your host, Clive Maloney. So welcome to the show. My name's Clive Maloney, and this is episode 20 of the Get Real About Business podcast. I'm really excited today because we've got a guest for you. This is Tony Baker from Chambers Financial. Got him come along and uh, he's going to be telling you a little bit about what he's up to and uh, sharing some of the reasons why he's been wildly successful and some of the reasons why he's doing a lot of smiling right now. Uh, certainly was smiling Thursday. We'll tell you about that in a bit. Um, and uh, if you've listened to these episodes before, what you'll know is that what we do every episode, we take a topic or a subject uh, that's relevant to growing your business and, and basically what we do is we break it down and we, we share some ideas that are going to make a difference for you as you grow your business, whether you're just starting out or perhaps you've been going for a few years and you're just looking for that extra piece of growth. But what I like to do every now and then is mix it up a little bit. So rather than just have me go on and on at you, I like to get some guests in and today we've got Tony Baker. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you, Clive. Nice to be here. Now, Tony is a, uh, a financial advisor and he helps people with mortgages and life insurance and home insurance. Um, and he's an all round great guy. Uh, we're good friends and we've been working together um, for, a, was it about 18 months now or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. It feels like two weeks, but uh, it's gone <laughs> quick. I'll uh, be introducing you to Tony. He can tell a little bit about himself. Now, as I said, Tony's had a lot of success in the financial industry. And I want to dig into that today. He's also made a big step out from a company that he was working at previously and is, is now uh, set up his own business. Again, we'll share that with you. What I'll ask you to do is uh, check out Tony's uh, website. Now, Tony's, uh, um, what is it? Tony, what's the website address? It's www.chambersfs.co.uk. Okay, so that's www.chambersfs.co.uk. Check out his website and see what he's up to. In the meantime, Tony, tell us a little bit about you and what it is that you do. Uh, thanks, Clive. Appreciate the introduction. I have been a mortgage uh, advisor, stroke broker for the last three and a half years. Before that, my experience is in banking, hence my financial services background. Yeah, I, I come out of the industry for, for, for a few years. I got headhunted to do a global sales role but uh, passionate about financial services, hence why I wanted to come back into the industry. Yeah, so you was involved in banking. How long was that for? 20 years. When I was uh, growing up, my parents wanted me to work for a bank. It was in them days a job for life and a well-respected position. Um, <laughs> and coming from East London, that was kind of um, something that they were incredibly proud of because it wasn't not always necessarily the natural path to take but uh so i joined lloyds when i was 16 and i worked there for 20 years i started off you know sorting out checks and doing a lot of the uh processing 
And then the bank bought out a product called Value Cover, which was a home insurance policy, and it was kind of like a one-size-fits-all type policy. And my job was to then go out and sell them as many policies as I can. And um, I was ultimately very, very successful at that. And that really gave me the break into sales and relationship management. That's really, I've kind of stuck within those type of roles ever since. And here I am today. Yeah, so you started out on the front line, like a lot of people do in banking, but then you just got into that that sales side, selling this product. Yeah. And and that was the bit that excited you most, was it? Definitely, absolutely, because I've always been um, had a, a a very high had a very high work ethic, and I always wanted to kind of be the expert in the job I was doing at that time. Within banking at that time, it was very kind of hierarchical and there was kind of a process to, to go through to get from one job to another. There was a natural path that you would ultimately go into. And so I then um, moved from one, one job to another. Um, and then when this kind of sales role come about, because banks never used to sell at that point. Banks used to lend money and that was really how they made their money in, in, on the whole. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, other products come come to be, and it was mainly a suite of general product, general insurance products that ultimately was um, providing to, to to customers. And that's how I got into it and loved it. I absolutely loved the diversity in terms of speaking to different people, understanding their requirements, and ultimately coming up with something that was, that was quite innovative innovative at that time that would satisfy their their needs yeah yeah and i want to ask you about how you go about this process because i know that you are booked silly at the moment uh yeah absolutely uh, rushed off your feet and which is great it's a nice dilemma to be in but just briefly what was the thing that made you make that change from working in a bank where you decided that well, i want to step out now and i now want to work you know independently or you mm. know for, a, for myself effectively yeah, I mean, um, when you're in a sales-type relationship role, it's very much, there's no hiding place. Your figures are there to be scrutinised. It's all about how much income you bring into the organisation. And, you know, it's um, it, it's there for you to see. I reached a, a relatively senior position in the bank in terms of um, a, a, as a manager in a, in a commercial space. And did very, very well, very respected from peers and management. But it sort of got to the point where it became more political the, the high I got. When you move forward, there are less positions, obviously, because you're in a management situation. Yeah. And it was more a case of who you needed to know rather than what your ability was about, I felt. And whilst playing a political game was something that I could do, it really was not really what I wanted to do. An opportunity was presented to me, something completely different, and I then left to to join a a company in the oil and gas sector, which is completely different. It was um, obviously the bank was a huge organ, huge national organisation. Here, I moved into a, an office of six, seven people. Yeah. So I went from a very small cog in a big wheel to a bigger cog in a smaller wheel, and that was quite challenging I would say in in so much of the, the office dynamic because you could see exactly what I was doing how that affected the business first first on whereas when you're in the bank obviously you've got your targets and you work to that and you try to do the best you can with league tables and all that sort of stuff yeah 
But overall, you just, you know, there's you talk about billion, multi-billion pound organisation, whereas here it was much different than what I, what I did was seen firsthand and, and ultimately had a bearing of where our company was going to go. Yeah, and this was primarily a sales role as you went into that? It was a global sales manager role. So I, I travelled all over the UK, Europe and, and further afield um, to promote the, our, um, our products, which was to in downstream fuels to bring them up to the, each country's specification yeah, and ultimately uh, and also some of the stuff that improves the fuel to allow retailers to sell uh, a va- a value added product yeah yeah okay so you've had a big background in finances and then in sales you found your strength in selling and, and that's great tell me a little about how you made this transition you went on to security financial services is, is that correct is that what you did after that yeah yeah I yeah. Did. yeah um it was really kind of um I, I i recently got married had a had a young baby and traveling around you know all over the place staying in hotels sounds great and it was great i enjoyed every minute of it but when you've got a family at home it was something that i kind of wanted to wanted to be closer to home yeah, and I was very successful in the job I did, um, but that also kind of increased my remuneration to a point where I needed to work out what I was going to do. <laughs> and at my time, my CV you had twenty years in a bank, five years in fuels. It's not really the um, the natural steps to take. Yeah. So in terms of getting into a lot of various different job opportunities, in order for me to be able to kind of and the same similar money and um, and the kind of like the areas I wanted to move into meant that quite a, I was having to go into fairly high level in in various organisations. So my CV wasn't really akin to, to do that. Yeah. So I thought to myself, well, I feel feel like I'm as good as anyone out there, and I'm not being sort of um, you know, blowing my own trumpet too much, but um, I'm good at what I do. And I think in life you've got to back yourself. And so I therefore took the opportunity to go self-employed. Originally, I was looking to go into the uh, financial advisor role, which would be to supply life insurance, pensions and investments and Mm. savings, that sort of stuff. But there was a a chance meeting that my wife had at a children's party um, who spoke to a mortgage advisor. And from then on, it kind of mortgages was the way I was going to go because... Within my banking role, I was very kind of adept at looking at um, lending propositions, whether that be from personal, whether it be from a business point of view, and ultimately challenge, you've got to challenge the person that wants to borrow the money so that they can kind of go away knowing that they've done the right thing as well. Yeah. Um, I also wouldn't be doing my job properly. Yeah. So it's kind of like, what, what if scenario, what if this happened, what if that happened, what would you do, how would you cope, what's plan B, that sort of stuff. I love that sort of stuff, and lending money was always something that I enjoyed. And so now it's kind of moving into a role that, whilst it isn't lending my own money, as I felt I wasn't during the bank, it wasn't my own, but I was lending the bank's money, I'm having to lend money on behalf of an organisation, and effectively the same process I try to apply, because I think that's the right thing to do for for the industry and all but most importantly for my customers yeah yeah and so it's interesting a lot of people when they go away from sort of working for somebody else and they start up the company they usually go one or two ways they either go down the route of i never want to work in that industry again and they do something completely different 
or they they go back to their roots. So for you, you kind of went back to your roots from the finance side. Yeah. Maybe you weren't doing mortgages before, but there's a lot of no. crossover there. And the thing is, one one of the reasons why I want to get you on the show today is that you've not had a lot of trouble getting clients, have you? No, no, I haven't. And um, I come into uh, to this three and a half years ago without any anything. So I didn't have a client base to work from. I basically started with no clients. So it was quite daunting, to say the least, when there's uh, mortgage to pay and bills to, bills to be paid and a mouse to feed. But yeah. again, just backing yourself. So what I did was promoting myself, went out, networked, um, called upon some old contacts, let them know what I was doing, and, and it kind of snowballed from there on. Visibility is very, very important. Being out there is very, very important. And just basically use whatever I can to, to try and get as many customers in at the very, very start. And that's kind of what, what, what I did. So that's quite important, isn't it? That you started from ground zero and, and you recognised two things. One was about visibility and the other was around you know, exploiting your existing networks. Mm. Um, and that's really good because I, I speak to a lot of people who, when they first start out, they say, I don't want to bug people that I know. Uh, I don't want to bug my friends and family or, you know, for, for what I do. But it seems to me that that's an obvious first place to start, even if you're not necessarily looking to convert them as clients. Yeah. But to kind of leverage those contacts to, to put you in front of other people. Absolutely, yeah, because, you know, the, it's it can be... When you um, do the job I do, there's a lot of information that I have to get from my clients in order to do my job. Yeah. And some of that can be sensitive information, such as incomes and stuff like that. And I know people that you know are in your social circle might not want to share that information. So I can completely understand if someone might, someone close to me um, or someone that I know wouldn't want to kind of do their mortgage through me for that particular reason. Yeah. But there's nothing stopping them from recommending me, given that they know that I'm a solid guy, um, I do my job well, and ultimately I'm a, I'm a person to get on with. Yeah. So three and a half years after starting was it security financial services, you then stepped away from working with them very, very recently. You had your launch event on Thursday. You've... You're now running a company called Chambers Financial Services, doing the same kind of thing. Um, but what the kind of the way it was before, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, the way it was before is that you was in an umbrella company. You was generating a lot of your leads yourself, but you kind of was, was in an umbrella company and uh, and you, you was part of that. Uh, why the change to coming out from that to you know, just kind of solely on your own? Don't get me wrong, I, I really enjoyed being at Security uh, Financial Services and I'm still on very, very good terms with, uh, with them. I guess it's, um, I'm 45, um, I'm at an age now where I've just got the fire in my belly still. Yeah. I've got the ultimate kind of, um, the dream was to, to run my own company and I, I never would have thought in, after three and a half years I would be in this position today, but... As time has gone on and things have progressed and I've been successful, it's just happened that way in terms of it just felt it was the right time for me to do it and the right time to um, make the change, make the jump. And you're right, ultimately, I generate my own business through all the things we spoke about, the networking. Now it's more recommendations from clients that I've been dealing with. 
And so I don't have any problems getting my own clients um, at this moment in time. And so yeah. I hope that continues. <laughs> um, but so it just felt right to at the right time for me to basically have my have my own ship that I could sell. Yeah. I can market myself the way I want to be marketed. I want to make decisions as to where we go. If I want to bring people into the company, which is my ultimate aim is to bring more people into yeah. the company as advisors so I can kind of help them and um, ultimately build a team. Now seemed the right time to do it. And I made, made, made that decision and it's a very exciting time at the moment. Yeah, it's, it certainly is. And, uh, and judging by, um, you had a launch event on Thursday and yeah. uh, um, you you had the local MP down and you had, was it 30, 40 of uh, like your closest friends and, and business colleagues? Mm. That was a great time. Um, thank you for inviting me, by the way. Pleasure. Um, tell me a little bit, because you were saying that you a lot of what you get now is recommendations and that's great, but you when you started out, you knew nobody and... If somebody was in that stage there, because I see a lot of mortgage providers and IFAs and people in that kind of sector where they're, they're scrapping around, they're scrapping around, they're getting like one or two things here or there, but they're, you know, they're just not that busy, even though they're kind of they're going out to networking events. What is it that you're doing that others aren't? It's difficult to say what other people aren't, but what I'm doing, it's, it's just consistency. I think what a lot of people fall into the trap of doing is they get extremely, extremely busy. They focus their time on the job in hand, which is what you should do, absolutely. Yeah. But then people forget to realise that once that business is done, then where's the business after that coming from? Yeah. So people tend to have like feast and famine up and down. Yeah. What I consistently try to do is follow up every lead that um, on a regular basis every day. Um, so that will be... If I've met someone or had a conversation, I'd make make a suitable diary note and I'd ring that person on that day whether I was busy or not. Because ultimately, whilst I'm busy now, I might not be busy in a month or two's time. Uh, the economy's in a very kind of um, precarious state at the moment, I yeah. would say. There's a lot of different um, time. We're in a time of uncertainty with Brexit, with Europe, with general election. Interest rates have been stable, but that may change. Inflationary pressure, pressures are on. So we don't know where, where we're going to be economically over the coming months or, or you know, in the short term. So for me, it's all about kind of just keeping going, mm. keep making those calls, be proactive all the yeah. time, keep going to networking events. Whilst I'm busy, you know, keep the consistency up. Because the problem is once you kind of step away and you, and you keep your head down, those opportunities don't seem to prevent, present themselves. I believe in the law of attraction in terms of if you're out there and you want the business, you'll, you'll get it if you look hard enough for it. Mm. And for me, I'm looking at um, a couple of different things at the moment. Obviously, I'm looking to continue what I'm doing in, at the moment in terms yeah. of generating a lot of business that I'll execute. I'm also um, looking to build a team sooner rather than later. Yeah. At the moment, I'm looking to build the foundation here and then grow from there. But also, what happens if the if economic conditions change? What am I going to do then? So it's kind of a look at there'll be maybe some. Um, we're, we're a nation that's very highly geared at the moment in terms of their a lot of people are borrowing lots of money on credit cards, personal loans, yep. car finances. What would happen if interest rates rise? It's going to put a lot of pressure on finance uh, on people. So it's kind of looking at those uh, opportunities there, maybe to do yeah. some debt consolidation. People are kind of. Um, 
on the standard variable rate or on tracker rates where they're benefited by very low rates at the yeah. moment. But if rates do go up, that might be the 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 nudge to try to get people to to get onto lower rate products. Yeah, and so I, I think what's interesting is that you're always looking to see, okay, so what might happen in the future? Um, and you're kind of planning for that and you're preparing for that right up front. And uh, one thing I, I heard a, a friend of mine, Alistair Dodds, um, say once is, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. And, and that's very true when it comes down to networking. Most people go along to a networking event, but they're not doing the follow-up. And, you know, I think it's about quality networking rather than necessarily volume. And you've got to, I think if you're, if you're strapped for, for clients right now, you've got to get out there and be seen as much as possible. But tell me what it is. Like, if you, if you go and meet Prospect A... A networking meeting what's your process if you think that they might be able to do business with you at some stage how do you follow up during the meeting i think it's very very important that um that, that you agree a time to come back to them because um, what i don't want to be doing is i don't want to be kind of someone that's going to be bothering that uh, that individual yeah they might not want to follow up you don't know and as much as we might get on really really well at the time yeah. but i think it's important that you accept the expectation that is it okay for me to give you a call to have a further discussion because whenever you're networking you tend to sort of work the room you go around to people you speak to a number of different people and it's not always possible to have or not appropriate necessary yeah. to go into lots of detail at that time so following up is crucial and i think you know making having that agreement that they're, they're happy for, to hear from you is is the most important thing at that time yeah secondly is actually doing it making the call, sending the email, making that contact to whatever it may be. And then hopefully either having an, uh, a more of an in-depth telephone conversation or or, hope, or or a meeting, depending on what's appropriate at the time. I prefer to see people face-to-face because that's yeah. just what way I've always been and, and you know, I've been schooled in that way. Um, and then talking about, um, I, I never uh, talk about anyone's, unless they want me to, their own their own personal financial circumstances because again it's not necessarily appropriate but it's yeah. just basically having the conversation to so that people know what I do what sort of businesses I'm looking for how I can help I want people to you know feel that I'm approachable and I'm the type of person that they can pick up the phone to and be looked after yeah. and on that note I think last time we were sitting in this office or possibly the one next to it you told me a piece of advice that you received many years ago uh, I don't know if you can remember about <laughs> wowing your customers or like being their friends. Yeah, yeah. It's um, Tell us about uh, that. a good friend of mine, a guy that's uh, unfortunately uh, we lost this year, and um, he was um, one of these guys that could sell uh, snow to the Eskimos, you know. Okay. And one of the things he told me that sort of stuck with me was um, either be fr- if, if you can't be their friend, then you've got to wow them. What that basically means is is that there's some people that you can get on like a house on fire and you really get that relationship where you're you know, friends and they'll come back to you on that basis. There's other people that don't necessarily want that kind of, uh, or, or not warming to you in that way, because everyone's different. But those people where you can't necessarily, where you haven't got that relationship where you can be best friends, yeah. for, to, for want of a better phrase, when literally your service has got to be really up there so you've got to be be really sharp you've got to get applications in you've got to write to them you've got to keep you know you've got to basically do everything you can from a service perspective so that they come back to you on the basis of what you can do yeah. um 
as well as kind of like... You know. And this seems to be like two things that you've done really, really well because I know that everybody I've spoken to, and obviously we've known each other for quite a while now, um, everybody's got a, like a nice thing to say about you. You're very, very personable. You get on well with everybody. And the thing is, a lot of business contacts... What we tend to do sometimes is we'll start a conversation and then we'll get busy and then we'll forget about somebody. But this isn't how relationships are formed, are they? They're about consistency and staying in touch and, and keeping things warm. And Definitely, yeah. And it's it's really important. I mean, as I say, I mean, my real background is in relationship building. You know, from those days in Lloyds Bank when I was, you know, from selling the one-off value covers then to then have a portfolio of people that I had to look after. And then you basically, it's within you to contact people on a regular basis, whether it be once a year, twice a year, three times a year, however they want to be kind of looked after. So my strength is to meet people and and develop that relationship so that I get on with them. They know I'm going to do my best for them in whatever capacity that they want me to be in. And that's kind of the, the, the way I do things. Because it's easy to only go back to people when you want to sell them something but ultimately that's not really the way I like to do business because I don't feel as if it should be in that way so I try to to speak to clients on a more regular basis than what necessarily I have to and it's amazing the amount of kind of opportunities that provides because it's like oh I'm glad you phoned because my neighbour was talking about mortgage the other day or my family member wants to move something like that there's always something that yeah. So it's not a wasted call by any means, and I think it's really nice that uh, that you hear from your advisor at a time when you're not necessarily expecting it, non-intrusive, just a chat, hello, how are you, is everything okay, just want to touch base with you, is anything I can do for you, um, or is there anyone else that you know, you know, just feel free to pass on my details to anyone that might want. Yeah, and so sometimes just having that bit of courage to pick up the phone, get in touch with somebody you haven't spoken to for a while, let them know you still think about them, you know, you, you still care about them, and uh, and being bold enough to say, you know, is there anything you need, or is there somebody that you know? The phone is my best friend, because we're living in an age of automation and emails. Yeah. To me... I, I email because you have to email. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, for me, if I'm thinking about emailing someone, I've then got to think about what I'm going to write, how I'm going to write it, and I've got to think to myself, how is that written word going to come across to the end user? Yes. Because there's a way of writing something that could be a harsh way or a yeah. softer way or somewhere in between, whatever it may be. And for me, that takes time. Why not pick up the phone? You know, uh, pick up the phone, have a chat, have the conversation. To me, you can. It's a natural thing for me. It's a natural to have a two-way conversation. The amount of emails that I've been involved with, where it's like pulling teeth, where you're, you're emailing and uh, they come back with a question, you answer that question, then another question comes out, yeah, and, and you come back to that, which is fine. And you just go backwards and forwards, but like it's not necessarily progressing the conversation Whereas that much. A five-minute phone call would yeah. basically get everything sorted. And that's the way I am. Yeah. I use the phone constantly. I'm on the phone pretty much all day because that's the way that I that I like to do my yeah. business. And I like to have, I like talking, as you can probably tell. <laughs> in the conversations. Yeah, and I want to emphasise this actually because um, yes, there's a lot of smart things you can do with email marketing and paid traffic and and all kinds of things. But you've built your business on networking and giving people a call on the phone. Yeah. 
those two things. Two things alone. Two things alone. Um, and you, you're at a stage now where you're just taking on staff, got new offices, you're booked solid. You know, the, the biggest theme for when we meet together mm. and we talk about where you're going is simply that you're so busy. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and ultimately, I'm, I'm nowhere near the finished article in any no. way, shape, or form. No, um, and I know that uh, the areas where I need to improve upon, and that's you know lots of areas that we work together on. Yeah, but and and a lot of it is down to kind of the level of workload that I've got and ma- and, and manage it in the best way possible. Yeah, um, so that really is my challenge. But I make sure that um, no matter how busy I am, that clients know where I am. They know that I'm following up. They know that I'm having a conversation. I'll keep them fully updated. So whether I've got nothing to do, which is which never happens, yeah. or whether I'm really, really busy, which is happening quite a lot, yeah. that I still try to keep that level of exp- yeah. uh, um, service service going. Yeah. And what I've done is now I've brought on Chloe on board, who's our administrator. Um, and Chloe's kind of uh, an extension of me in so much as it's two of us now, it's not just me. And ultimately, working things forward, it's about identifying the process from start to finish and pushing out where Chloe can help take some stuff off me to provide a lot of the after service. So I'll do the front end service, Chloe do the after the after service. So it's looking at kind of ways that we can work together yeah. so it's seamless, so the customer is not kind of falls between any stalls and that they've got the expectation yeah. up front that, right, I'm going to make the recommendation, I'm going to write to you to let you know why I've recommended that, I'm going to um, submit the application. But once it's over... Chloe's going to do all the aftercare. Chloe's so going to be speaking to you. Yeah. She's, she's going to be chasing the lenders. She's going to be speaking to other parties, estate agents, yeah. solicitors to update them. And so you're now at the stage where basically you've gone from being effectively a one-man you know, band to uh, to you bring somebody else on. But the, the, the challenge is now is actually breaking down some of the things that you're doing, yeah. um, you know, sort of process mapping it all. And so probably, you know, early on in the business, this is the time to do things, especially for a lot of people. What they do is they go out and they're constantly recreating the wheel. Now, one of the things that you've been very good at is you're quite consistent with your approach and your follow-up and everything Mm. like that. And I think that's been a huge part of why you were successful. But now it's kind of taking it out of your head and putting it down on paper so that it'll work. Yeah, and and I think that um, it's all about clarity. Clarity is so important, whether it's what you're doing, whether it's what... You're asking someone else to do for you. Yeah. So I think that um, it's easy to kind of go through and, you know, you know it in your head what you have to do. Yeah. But sometimes it's quite good to kind of get that down on paper and work out why you do things when you do them and is there a better way? Is, is, yeah. is, is there a process that I can make it a bit sharper? Is there something I can do that would be better for... The, ultimately the, the client at the end of the day yeah. but how we can kind of be more robust and more streamlined as a business so that you know that the process can be as effective as it possibly can be yeah and I think that's all that's really an ongoing process to review that all of the time because things get out of date things uh, other yeah. uh, legislation comes in and we're ob- obligated to do different things yeah and again it has to be filtered into the process as well and yeah. once you've already got a process there, it's far easier to integrate something than completely starting afresh and working out what you need to do. Exactly. And so for you, there's a, there's a part of it is about being robust because you're a financial company and you're dealing with money and that's important. 
but also if we can make the systems really quite efficient then we can shorten that fulfillment process which means that you can be more profitable and deal with more clients i just want to come back to something that uh, you mentioned during a mastermind session once uh, somebody asked for advice around getting clients and, uh, and particularly around this whole thing around sales conversions you said questions are your answers do you remember sharing absolutely can you tell us a little bit about that yeah, to me, I mean, it's like uh, when someone says talks about a salesman, what's the first thing you think about? Well, I, I guess probably that stereotypical sales guy. It is a sales guy. It's like a you know, second-hand sales. Yeah, you're talking about your after right. dailies. After, and, you know, that's and your it, build, yeah. Trotters, that sort of stuff. <laughs> but to me, the art of selling a product to someone is that they don't know they're being sold to. Yeah. Um, it's all about um, asking questions and it's never making a statement when you can ask a question. So it's all about kind of, you know, you coming to borrow money, but don't tend to use the word mortgage. It's all right, okay, let's ask every single question I can around about that. Yeah. So that I'm guiding you in a direction to ensure that I'm asking the right questions so that I know what you want. But I'm also looking at uh, asking questions to see you know, what what would happen if something was, you know, unforeseen was to happen. Yeah. So it's like getting as many questions there as possible. Yeah. The more you ask a question, the more you're, form, you're, you're forming a, a profile of that individual. Yeah. You know what, they're, the, the, what they want, you know more about them, and that way you can then make the, a, an appropriate recommendation. Yeah. And part of it as well is that when we had the conversation, you were suggesting that use the, and quite rightly too, suggest using questions as a way of overcoming objections. Oh. So can you give us an example of that? Yeah, I think it's um, because, say for example, I mean, everyone wants a mortgage, in, you know, wants to buy a property because they need it. They see the property and they, and, and they want to buy that, which is yeah. fine. But... Life assurance or protection is just as important, if not more, because no one wants to die, no one wants to be ill, uh, but unfortunately that's the reality of the world we live in, and we all know people that have died or, or have been seriously ill. Yeah. And that makes a massive impact on someone's well-being, um, and sometimes convalescing. You know, if you've had a major heart attack or, you know, I've got friends recently who've been diagnosed with breast cancer, and when you go through that particular trauma, it's difficult enough to cope with that as it is, let alone with, you know, fin your financial burdens that you're going to have because you might not be able to work. Yeah. So you then, you know, your pressure on you is tenfold. So basically, it's, 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 a, it's a way of answering questions to present them with problems that they might not have thought about so that you can then solve them for them because uh, no one thinks about dying. It's going to happen to someone else. No one thinks about getting ill, but it's like, what would happen to you? What would happen to you if you was to die? How would you be able to make your mortgage payments? How are you going to live? What would be the, the actual situation? And they're not the nicest of conversations to have by any means, but no. they're necessary because I could say, I'll oh, have some life assurance, it's going to cost you £20. Oh, that's great, I'll sign here. But I might not be, I'll be doing them a disservice because I'm not having the conversation I should have, which is not the nicest of conversations, but an important conversation. So they know what the situation would be if the if if, if the dark days turn, come round, and um, how are we going to solve it for them? And that's kind of painting that picture. Yeah, yeah. To, to, to do it because ultimately, if that was to happen, I want to make sure that all my clients are, are, 
are protected and looked yeah. after. And you put your, your client in a position where they're actually having to justify almost why they haven't got anything sorted, really. So if you ask questions like that, then they realise that actually there is... And in learning development, we call this creating disturbance, where the, the person realises there's actually something wrong in their life and that needs to be fixed. So, yeah, that's, that's really interesting that you're doing that. And I think it's a great way of overcoming objections because normally what happens with objections is that one person will make a statement and the other one will raise an objection, which is, well, they take a position, like I can't afford it or whatever. But if you can ask questions, then it kind of gets them out of being in that position where they've made a statement and then they kind of look to support the statement. Yeah, conversely, it might be that someone has got uh, appropriate, they've made the appropriate provisions. Yeah. And... A further policy or or product is 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 not not applicable. Yeah, and again, that's fine, great. If and then that's utopia for a, for a, for a client, and but it's having that conversation to establish that, that is the case. Yeah. because if that is the case, it's absolutely brilliant. And if if that if something was to happen to you that's untoward, I'm really pleased that you've got this, you've got that, and you've got this. So, so you'll be you'll be fine. Yeah. And I feel happy that they've walked out the door us having that conversation. Yeah. And that whatever it is, that they can walk away knowing that they're looked after. Excellent, excellent. Tony, before uh, before we let you go, I, I just want to ask you one more thing, and that's about your your move into Chambers Financial Services away from security. Uh, so you've gone from the position where you were working at an umbrella company, you would generate a lot of leads yourself, and that was part of the reasons why you wanted to step away. Obviously, mm. it's going to be more lean for you. You're going to, you're going to make more money that way. If you, but um, nevertheless, there was a level of risk there involved. Now, I see a lot of people who are working uh, sort of under umbrella companies yeah. like St. James's Place and other... I mean, that's a financial uh, consultancy place, but... Uh, they're working for an umbrella company and then they decide that they want to step out. What made you do that and what did you learn along the way? Um, it's uh, At the end of the day, it's nothing working for an umbrella company by any way, shape or form. It suits people and everyone's different. Everyone's at different ages, different stages of their lives, different sort of um, expectations and income requirements and everyone's different I mean some people want to be employed nine to five stacking shelves yeah they're happy with that they've got enough money to do what they want to do great you know for me it was just a case of just wanted that to steer my own ship and that was really literally it and, and yeah I mean obviously I will get a bigger slice of the cake by doing what I'm doing now but that's not my ultimate driving goal my goal is to have a fully established business so that I can not step away from doing mortgages at some point in the future and look at working on this business as a strategic in a strategic way so that I can help yeah. with other advisors that are in, make sure that they've got full diaries and yeah. they're doing what I'm doing. Okay, so you've stepped away now. Uh, mm. And uh, I know that you spent a little time, more than a little time, preparing to do that. So you didn't just, like, one day you walked in and said to your old manager, look, you know, that's it, I've had enough, I'm going. You had a plan together. What did you learn during that process? You know, what did you do that worked for you? And were there any things you would do differently to handle that transition from working at an umbrella company to going on your own? I think any change, no matter where, where you're going from one to the other, it's important that it's planned and that you're kind of you sit down and you, you're you're at A and you want to get to Z. How are you going to deal with B, C, D, and all that sort of stuff? So what I kind of done was really sat down and worked backwards from where I want to be, how am I going to go from where where it is 
are you moving in here to where I, from where I was and yeah. kind of really looking at so first of all I did a lot of brainstorming so what are the things I'm going to need so things like equipment IT the office bringing someone on board all those sorts of things I kind of sat down planned out and really just put them in a systematic kind of order where it was coherent and it was a plan yeah and basically I followed the plan and I didn't stray off of it because that was times do change so from a time point of view because things happen that the mean your timings go a little bit uh, awry yeah but ultimately the same path was walked but ultimately in a slightly different time frame than what I was anticipating so I had my own little Gantt chart um so I brainstormed worked out what I wanted to do put in a Gantt chart worked out if there was any gaps Filled those gaps yeah. and walked it through. Yeah. You love your Gantt charts, don't you, Tony? <laughs> I don't want a Gantt chart. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, what you did decide to do is that you kind of got everything lined up and got everything sorted before you you had that conversation with your previous manager. And how important was that for you to to kind of get everything lined up and ready before you had that conversation that opened up the fact that you were you were going to go. Yeah, I just it was important that kind of from a self-preservation point of view that to have everything in place because it's so easy to kind of jump in feet first and not have a plan and all of a sudden you put your size 12s in and then all of a sudden, you know, if my conversation hadn't have gone as well as it had have done, then yeah. what happens? You know, you could be sort of out the door um, and then you've got to then scramble everything together. So I was keen to avoid that because I would be a nightmare if I didn't have... A structured environment i.e. work to work to so I just basically looked at preparing it's, you know it's, it's like anything you do whether it's for a meeting a customer appointment preparation is, is so so key and to prepare well just saves you so much time further down the process so I actually done it in a managed way in a very kind of prepared way rather than it just kind of you know, you see some people, they sort of running along and then trying to sort of like spin every plate they can yeah. because and, and invariably some will fall off. So I try to avoid that. Preparing is so important, whether it's at the start of the day, is to what your day's going to look like, whether it's going to be for any meeting, any project. I was always one of those people that, that was hopeless with preparation. You know, I'll just basically be there and work through and, you know, ultimately this environment has made me do that and just to think you know I do a lot of thinking now that I never did I just basically go in I'd be like uh, get stuck in and see see what happened and dealt with it as whatever was thrown at me and that's not always the best way no no so kind of summing things up really some of the things that that you're getting right at the moment are the fact that you're getting out there you're highly visible you're following up with everybody so that's consistent so it's not just about getting out there and doing it but you've got this good solid follow-up strategy you do your planning as well so you plan at the start of every day that's one of the habits you've got into isn't it absolutely Tell us a little bit about that yeah basically um there's this there's, there's certain different goals that i've got whether it be sort of financial goals business goals development goals um and so what i make sure that i do is is that i plan my day whereby i'm moving a step forward in each of those yeah. particular areas um and sometimes it's there's more time available than others. You can't do everything that you'd like to do straight away. 
uh, as much as I'd love to, and given all the resources, you know, I'll be probably further than I'm. But there's still always yeah. be something that you just cannot physically do. There's only so much out, so many hours in the day. There's only one of me. Yeah. So it's a case of doing a lot of prioritising. So it's uh, prioritising what what's the ultimate, what, what what's required um, to be done in that day so this is one of the first things you do you get up you have a look at what's to be done you sit down you prioritise things and how long does it take to do that? generally I take sort of about 20, 20 to 25 minutes yep. to do that 20 so minutes kind planning of, for the day yeah yeah yeah. so what I do is I kind of look at uh, what's my appointment schedule yeah um, and then work around that as to where I'm going to be what I'm going to be doing maybe scheduling uh, specific tasks in great. You know, so if I've got a, uh, um, you know, the after stuff that I need to do, like submit an application, do the uh, recommendation letter, and all that sort of stuff, that might that, that takes me an hour for, ex- for for instance to put that as a, as an appointment. Yeah. So I know I'm going to do it at that time when you schedule something. It's more likely to get done than it being on a to do list. Yeah, really. yeah. What you what you schedule tends to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, indeed. So that to me is really, really important. Um, am I an expert at it? No, I don't think I am, but I'm certainly better than what I was. And it's a case of the, the more you keep doing it, the better you're going to get. And I've, I'm a lot further forward than where I was. And yeah, it's just I, I can't recommend that to anyone to sort of prioritise what needs to be done because ultimately something falls down that, that you have to do then it's not going to be good news. Yeah. And then all you're doing is you're firefighting and then you're under pressure. Because everyone wants a piece of your time, but not everyone wants a piece of your time that day. And it's a case of, okay, right. And and what I've got a lot better at doing, which I wasn't so good recently, is to is just manage expectations. Where I've got quite a lot of, a hell of a lot of paperwork to do, a hell of a lot of meetings to do. You can't do everything immediately. So I might well be that like, I can't do this today, but... I'll call you on Wednesday or set the time in the diary to, to have that conversation so you've got a bit more time to... Yeah, yeah. And sometimes we have to be quite realistic about that. Though for me, when I say, like, you know, it would be take me 20 minutes, it usually takes me two hours. I'm, I'm rubbish at estimating things. So I think it's good to say, yeah, you'll be ready for Wednesday if you think you're going to be ready for Monday and give yourself some extra time. And then yeah. and then if you're ready on Monday, then you delight your customers for being super quick. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah under promise, over deliver. Under promise, over deliver. Love it. Excellent. Tony, it's been brilliant chatting with you today. Um, thank you very much for sharing your story. What I'm going to do is I'm going to sum what you said up today in terms of the, the patterns and behaviours that you're doing that are making you successful we'll put that on the show notes page uh, if anybody's uh, if you want to get to those notes and, and get that you just go to get forward slash 20 that'll take you to the show notes page uh, before we wrap up just uh, Tony if somebody's going to get a hold of you somebody wants to get a hold of you talk about mortgages or anything else how do they do that number of ways we've got email which is tb at chambersfs.co.uk. Okay. We've got the landline, which is 01268 744 My mobile, which is 07740 <laughs> And the website, which is www.chambersfs.co.uk. .co.uk. <laughs> you had to think about that. But, yeah, it, it just shows how new it is because that's your, your website. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that the link to your website... And well, there's one other thing. Go for it. You can come in our office. It's open. It's our shop. You can walk in, see the lovely Chloe. She'll give you a big smile. i offer to make you a cup of tea. <laughs> and you can walk in and see me. Fantastic. She makes a mean cup of coffee. She does. 
And that's where we'll leave it today. That was Tony Baker of Chambers Financial Services. Check him out. Then uh, go to the show notes page, getrealaboutbusiness.com forward slash 20, where you can get all the links or anything mentioned today. And also broken uh, down some of the things that Tony said there into a series of habits and tips that you can take away. So just kind of distill what we did today. So again, just head on over to getrealaboutbusiness.com forward slash 20. Time just left for me to tell you about the next episode. Uh, Next time here on the Get Real About Business podcast, we're going to be looking at how you take a business that's a complete startup and take it to a quarter of a million pound in a very short space of time. To do that, we're going to be speaking to marketer and entrepreneur Bob Buckley. So he's going to be on the show next time. Until then, here's to you and your highly successful business.